The Old Testament reading for the third Sunday in Advent is from Isaiah, chapter 35. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. There's this saying that is part of our common vernacular, I guess you could say, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, right? And those words, that's one of those things that we kind of just say, uh, you know, maybe without really always meaning it. It's, it, it. We kind of just say it like, I've got some bad news to tell you. And I may or may not actually feel bad about it, but it seems like the polite thing to say. Because bearing bad news, I mean, nobody wants to bring anybody else down. Because it's really great to be the bearer of good news. Think about how exciting it is to share good news, to share good results from a medical test that you were concerned about with your family and your friends, to share good news like, uh, guess who's coming over to your kids, or guess what we're doing today. It's fun. It's exciting to bring a sparkle to someone else's face. And this passage from Isaiah 35 is some very, very good news that comes at the end of a long section of some pretty bad news for Isaiah's original audience. So think about how Isaiah must have felt as he's writing about Yahweh's intent and Yahweh's power to save his people. Remember, Yahweh is how God introduced himself to Moses at the burning bush. It's translated in our Bibles as something like, you know, depending on your translation, uh, I am that I am, or I shall be what I shall be. But in Hebrew, those consonants are, well, when I say this in the confirmation class, they think this is kind of funny. It's yod he wah he And with the vowels, when you add that in, Yahweh. 
Yahweh is the name of God in the Old Testament. And Isaiah gets to share good news with the people of Judah. And the first thing he says is this extended kaleidoscope of the transformation of nature. Right? The wilderness is going to bloom like the crocus. The desert shall be glad and the dry places are going to sing for joy. How does a desert bloom and blossom? I mean, this, this is a thing that actually does happen, right? In, in hot, dry deserts, when you get enough water and the conditions are just right, it's almost like overnight. Blooms just explode off of every plant that's capable of producing one. But this is not just a natural thing. This is not a weather forecast in Isaiah 35 here. And if you want to follow along on the back of your bulletin, uh, I encourage you to do so because I'm going to take this section by section, about two verses at a time. Isaiah doubles down here. He says, The wilderness is going to blossom abundantly and even rejoice with joy and singing. The Hebrew verb that stands behind singing, the wilderness is going to rejoice with singing, that's the same verb, also in this passage, for the person who can't speak, who when the Lord comes is going to sing songs of joy as well. All of creation is going to erupt in singing, glad songs, when the Lord comes. And I suppose I'm kind of letting the cat out of the bag. That's really the occasion for all of this. The wilderness is going to receive the glories of Lebanon, which would be this imposing mountain range on the northern border. They're, and also ancient cedar trees. Keep that in mind, too. They're going to receive the glories of Carmel, which is a famous mountain. You might remember Elijah's showdown with the prophets of Baal. Carmel was a significant mountain, although not very tall. I think it's not even 2,000 feet at the peak, but, you know, they'll take what they can get. And Sharon, which is this fertile pasture land about 10 miles wide and 50 miles long on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea where there was always grass. It was the place to be if you were a shepherd. Great pasture land, very fertile soil. So in terms that we would, you know, uh, understand a little better, this is like saying the Mojave Desert is going to receive the glorious, imposing Colorado Rockies and the ancient redwoods of California and the splendor of the fertile soil of our very own Mulkey Township. All in all, this is quite a transformation. And again, I say, it's not just a weather forecast. There's a reason for all of this. All of nature is celebrating because they know someone's coming. Now let me pause here on this exciting news, and let's be real candid with each other. Isaiah was prophesying to a people who had lost hope in God because of their circumstances. The kingdom, this is the time in the history in the Old Testament where the kingdom has been divided. Ten tribes formed the northern kingdom of Israel. Two tribes formed the southern kingdom of Judah. Isaiah is prophesying to the southern kingdom. And enemies abound. Bad governance, wicked rulers, false prophets, crime, hunger. Things are not good. Things are not stable. Supposedly, God was their God, and he was going to bless them. All those promises from Deuteronomy about being God's people and how he would give them a good land with milk and honey and everything 
that they would need, and yet here they are in this bad situation. And Isaiah is comforting them with this good news. I think it's Isaiah chapter 28 all the way through 35 is this one section where Isaiah is promising judgment against Judah. Like, listen, guys, it's about to get worse. But then he ends with this, this promise that things are not going to be bad forever. He announces hope to them. And if you're curious about when in history this was, Isaiah was written between 740 and about 690 BC, which is like 2,700 years ago. Now you might wonder why I say all that, because it might make it feel even harder to relate to because of how much time has passed between us and them. What could we possibly, I mean, how could we relate to them? It's sometimes hard for us to relate to things from 100 years ago or 200 years ago. Can you imagine living out here with no running water and no electricity and without modern insulation and, uh, you know, nice airtight buildings. I mean, it's, yeah, we can read about it and we can imagine it. Just step outside here in the parking lot when it's really blowing and just think about that as being all the time. But our existence is a lot different than things just 100 years ago, 200 years ago. So 2,700 years ago, how are we supposed to relate to this? And this is why I said let's be real candid with each other because Isaiah wrote to a people with weak hands and feeble knees and anxious hearts. And that's you. And that's me. Happy anniversary. (laughs) We are a people of weak hands. And I don't mean like actually physically weak hands because I shake all your hands on the way out of here and some of you have pretty strong hands. Derek. (laughs) But, But shake his hand. You'll know what I'm talking about. Weak hands, a weakness to do righteousness, a weakness to do that which God would have us do. Feeble knees, we are weak, we're unable to walk in the paths that God would have us walk in. And anxious hearts, I mean, I get what that is, I think you get what that is. Our hearts are restless. So we are just the group that Isaiah is writing to, actually, after all, even though he wrote this 2,700 years ago. This is for us, friends. And he says this, be strong, fear not, behold, your God will come to save you. He will come to save you. Now, unlike the people of Judah 2,700 years ago, we live after this prophecy has begun its fulfillment. Because just a mere 700 years after Isaiah promised this, Jesus was born. God came to save his people. Isaiah says that when God does come to save, certain things are going to happen. He says in verses 5 and 6, The eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame man shall leap like a deer, the tongue of the mute sing for joy. And today in the gospel lesson, We heard those things. Jesus wanted to make it very clear. He wanted to leave no doubt that the messianic age that Isaiah prophesied had begun. Because John, the voice in the wilderness crying, prepare the way of the Lord, was now in prison 
And he had begun to doubt whether Jesus was really the one. This isn't really working out the way it's supposed to, Jesus. Where's the rest of this stuff? Where's the, de- the wilderness blossoming like the crocus? Where's the glory of Lebanon and Sharon and Carmel? And where's the highway of holiness? Where's the vengeance of God? I'm in prison under the orders of an unjust king who calls himself the king of the Jews. What is going on, Jesus? And Jesus says this, go and tell John this. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. It's Isaiah 35 and more. There's good news preached to anxious hearts. Even the dead are raised in the presence of Jesus, the Messiah. He's, he, he's, he's come to save us. Our God has come to save us. In the psalm for today that we spoke responsively, it says this, The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. Jesus, anytime you see capitalized Lord in the Old Testament, when Jesus comes on the scene and says stuff like he says here in Matthew 11, he says, I am the Lord. That's me. I'm that guy. Physical maladies came undone in Jesus' presence. And even today, miracles happen on the daily in all corners of this world by the power of the Spirit. People are healed Sicknesses are removed, which is why we pray for those things still, because God still does them. But what's more, he came to deliver us from our bondage to sin and to rescue us from the domain of darkness. The greater work of forgiving sins is done. That's the greater work compared to healing physical maladies, which will all one day be healed when we are given glorified bodies. Now, there's one thing that I have not mentioned yet, And I actually kind of skipped over it, and it's this, the vengeance that God was going to come with, according to Isaiah. Isaiah doesn't just say, behold, your God will come and save you. He says, behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God. And this is the part in the third Sunday of Advent where we encounter the unique tension of the Advent season where we are living in the age of fulfillment of prophecies made a long, long time ago that weren't just fulfilled all at once. The fulfillment began with Jesus' arrival and is we're now in that window of time when these things are being fulfilled, which means we still look forward to Jesus' return with vengeance because he didn't come with vengeance the first time. He came with grace and truth and love and mercy. But when he returns... Things will be different. We have this promise from him that he'll return for judgment, for vengeance. We're even going to talk about that after the sermon in the creed. And so what do we do as the church now? What does this mean for us as we leave here and go about the rest of our lives? Well, this is where that highway of holiness things come in, comes into play. We walk the road to Zion. That is, we live our lives as disciples of Jesus. We do the work that the Lord has called us to. We fulfill our responsibilities and our obligations according to our station in life, and we prepare for Jesus' arrival. 
We talk about preparing our hearts to celebrate Christmas, and that's good, and that's right. And we do that by recognizing our need for Jesus to come. We we recognize our need for a Savior. He had to come into this world. And that's really what we celebrate on Christmas. The gift-giving thing is a tradition from Saint Nick, right? Jolly old Saint Nick. A literal saint, Nicholas of Smyrna, I believe, who was known, among other things, for uh, punching or slapping heretics in the face and secretly giving gifts. And we tend to do one of those things more than the other at Christmas. Are you with me? That's, that's funny, right? We give gifts and we wrap them up and it's a secret, right? But we do that because of God who gave us the best gift of all, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sins. And so we prepare our hearts for Christmas by thanking God for sending Jesus into the world for us. But Christmas comes and goes, and unless Jesus comes back right after our children's Christmas Eve service, wouldn't that be something? We're all here together, and we just go. Could happen. But once that's done, once the Christmas season is over, we still walk the road to Zion. We're still journeying homeward. And so we do that by recognizing our continual need of repentance. The work of forgiving our sins is over. From Jesus' perspective, it's done. It's finished. But from our perspective, every day we sin. Every day we need forgiveness. You'll notice every time we gather in here, just about, one of the first things we do right out of the chute is confess our sins and ask God for forgiveness. We do that together so that it happens here in this place. But one of the things that that also does for us is it forms us into a kind of person that understands that we're never going to grow out of needing forgiveness. Advent isn't a season of darkness. Sometimes it can come across that way, especially if you have a pastor who really wants to rail hard against, it's not Christmas yet. You know, and I've been known to be that way sometimes. It's not Christmas yet. We have an Advent tree up here. I have Advent lights up on my house. (laughs) I mean, let's be real. They're Christmas lights. It's not a season of darkness. It's a season of light in darkness. Jesus is the light. Who do you think is the darkness? All those unbelievers? It's us. We're the darkness. We prayed about it already in this service. Jesus Come to us and shine your light into the darkness that still exists in our hearts. Friends, we cannot fall asleep at the wheel. We cannot hit cruise control and hope that the vehicle is going to stay within the lane. Our whole lives are to be marked by repentance and watchfulness because we never know when Jesus is going to come back. And he talks about that a bunch in the Gospels. And we'll get there in this church here in Matthew The Christmas celebration comes and goes. Preparation for Jesus' return in glory is a lifelong endeavor. The other thing we do to prepare for Jesus' coming with vengeance is to stay on this highway of holiness and to thank God for putting us there. Isaiah sees these typical dangers of travel, like attack from wild animals or even bandits, as not a a concern on this road. This is a special kind of road. It's protected by the power of the one who put us on it, by the one who created it. In other words, the way that leads to Zion is a road that you walk by the unmerited favor 
and grace of God shown to you in Jesus Christ? And a good question, you might be thinking this, what if I stray off the road? How do I know I'm still on it? There's comfort even for that question here in this passage from Isaiah as well. He says, even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. And friends, I'm not saying you're a fool for wondering this, but there is security here. This is like bowling with the little bumpers up so that you cannot roll a gutter ball. God's grace keeps you on the road. God's grace keeps you on the path. He puts you there to begin with. He's not going to throw you out. He loves you too much to do that. Jesus paid too high a price for you to do that. At his first coming, Jesus inaugurated the messianic age that Isaiah prophesied in our sermon text this morning from chapter 35. And Christians, we are now on this road to Zion. And when we arrive there, sorrow and sighing will flee away. Can you imagine that? Sorrow. We're going to chase it away with the sound of our singing. Everlasting joy is going to be on our heads. In this life, we have to chase down happiness, don't we? We have to go find fulfillment. We have to find joy. But when this is finally fulfilled, totally, we're not going to be able to get away from it. It's going to chase us down and land on us. Everlasting joy will be on our heads, and there will be no more crying or mourning or death or pain anymore forever. So, Lord, give us the strength to continue trusting in you and walking in the path you set before us all. Until then. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.